0: 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face, because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The title of our closing talk this afternoon is the title which Peter gives to the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14 where he calls him the Spirit of Glory. And in that sense we come back to where we began because we began today by thinking of the Holy Spirit as one who is co-equal and co-existent with God God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons of the Godhead, equal in everything. And so you find that that's the case as you trace this title through the scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul speaks of God the Father of glory. And when you come to James's epistle, he, in the second chapter of his epistle, he encourages his recipients to hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then Peter, as we've said in 1 Peter chapter 4, he's speaking to those who are suffering on account of their faith, who are being persecuted for the sake of Christ. And he says to them, if you are insulted because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Wherever we find the glory of God revealed, we find the Holy Spirit at work. God's glory is revealed in creation. David knew that. Remember, Psalm 19 as he's reflecting on the glory of the wonder of creation and as he takes it all in, he gazes at the night sky and he takes in all that God has created and he says the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork day after day, pours forth speech. It's as if all creation around him, the night sky, all its beauty is pouring out, it's continually telling him of the glory of God, words pouring out of nature to proclaim to him the glory of God. And not only David, but angelic beings too. You remember when Isaiah was caught up in his vision in chapter 6 and he, he appears in the, the temple and there are the seraphim and they say, holy, 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 uh, is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And so as it was for David, so it is for the seraphim that they marvel at the glory of God revealed in the creation that he's made. And you go back to when God created it. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And there was the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, ready to implement that which was in the, the heart of God to do and the spirit is there, poised and ready to reveal his glory. What's true of creation is true of God's sanctuary, God's dwelling place. That's another place where we find God's glory revealed. It's a place associated with the glory of God. You remember when the Israelites had come out, in, they'd escaped from Egypt and come out into the wilderness and we thought this afternoon of the instruction that was given to Moses which was carried out then through Bezalel and the craftsmen of Israel to make a sanctuary for God according to the pattern that was shown to Moses in the mountain and they they put all their effort and they put all their uh, valuables and they put all their heart and soul into building this thing for God to dwell in and on the first day of the first month of the second year after they've come out of Egypt the thing is raised up and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord revealed now to the people. Here it is, the glory of God dwelling in the midst of his people. Again, David in Psalm 29 recognises the glory of God associated with his dwelling place. It's a wonderful psalm, Psalm 29. It, he, he's thinking of a storm. It's almost you can see him watching a storm coming in from the sea and he sees it building out at sea and he, he sees it coming in and it hits the land and it starts to uh, strip the cedars and, and the hillsides are dancing like calves under the, the wind, the howling wind and the rain. And his mind is coming ever closer to Jerusalem and David's eyes, it seems, rest on the temple or the tabernacle as it would be in his day. And uh, uh, amongst all the chaos of the storm that's engulfing the city and engulfing the Judea, his mind rests on the sanctuary of God and the quietness of that place. Everything in his his temple says glory. How does the Holy Spirit reveal the glory of God's sanctuary? How's, How's the Holy Spirit connected with that? Well, you get an interesting passage in Isaiah 63. And it talks about, it's talking about the one who comes, talking about future day, the one who comes from uh, Bosra, is it? Who's made his garments red. But Isaiah goes on to speak about the rebellion of Israel, the rebellious heart of Israel. But he turns again to the faithfulness of God towards them, of how God was faithful to a rebellious people. And he comes back to thinking about those days of Moses. And Isaiah says, who brought them out? Who brought them up out of the sea with shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? I think that's a reference to the tabernacle. That the, 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 the appearance of God who dwelt amongst them, who filled the tabernacle with the glory of God. I think it was done through the person of the Holy Spirit. And that, to me at least, chimes with what we get in the New Testament, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, speaking to the church of God in Corinth, that they, along with other churches of God, with whom, in whom they were in fellowship, that they were temple of God, um, and that God's Spirit dwelt in them. And in Ephesians chapter 2, when he's speaking about being built together together, to form a habitation of God, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And so in, this, in the dwelling place of God, in the sanctuary of God, where his glory is declared, where his glory is manifest, we find the Holy Spirit directly associated with that place. And then above all, of course, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ as the fullest, most perfect declaration of the glory of God the writer to the hebrews says he's the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature and that radiance of god's glory had been recognized by the disciples in their day john saying that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory we the disciples those who who lived with him we who who saw him we watched him daily we We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten, the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And as we've already thought today, the Holy Spirit intimately associated with the work and the person and the walk of Christ. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so we find the Holy Spirit Intimately associated throughout the scriptures with the bringing to light of the glory of God that it might be revealed and understood by you and me, by men, by people whose minds are not capable of taking this in and yet by the spirit it's brought to light, it's revealed that we might understand something, perceive something of the glory of God. In John 16, we were thinking about, we were directed to that earlier in our first study together, weren't we? John 16, where the Lord Jesus is telling the disciples in the upper room about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will come. And he says, he will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think there's a wonderful humility in that. Remarkable that the Holy Spirit, and and we're talking about one who is co-equal, co-eternal with God. He's the Spirit of glory. That every attribute which belongs to the Father and which belongs to the Son belongs to the Spirit. Every claim, every demand to deity that belongs to God the Father that belongs to God the Son, belongs to to the Spirit, and yet he doesn't speak on his own authority. He has authority, but he doesn't speak on his own authority. And he doesn't speak of himself. He doesn't glorify himself. But the Lord Jesus says he'll glorify me because he'll take the things that are mine and declare them to you. And I think there's a remarkable humility in the work of the Spirit. As the Father sent the Son, that the Son might glorify the Father, so the Son sends the Spirit, that the Spirit might glorify him. And it's the joy and the delight of the Holy Spirit to take of the things that belong to Christ and reveal them to you and me by his work within us, that the Son might be glorified. And I think the Holy Spirit takes great delight In the glory of the Son being revealed to people like you and me. That's his work. And it's his exclusive work. Because John says in his epistle that by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's the work that the Spirit loves. To take the things of Christ. And to reveal them to you and me. So he's a glory. The spirit of glory is a glory giver. And he gives glory to the Son. Now why have we read 2 Corinthians chapter 3? What's this about? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is he's laying alongside each other the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The covenant that came to Israel from God through Moses. And he's laying alongside that in contrast The new covenant, the covenant that comes to us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says the old covenant, he says it's a ministry of death. It was a ministry of condemnation and yet it also had its glory. And you think, well, how could could it have glory? This This was a ministry of death, of condemnation. Where's the glory associated with that? Well, I think the answer is that it had glory because of the one from whom it came. Came from God. And you only have to read Exodus chapter 19 when the Israelites came to Sinai to understand something of the majesty of that scene of God's glory being revealed as the covenant was handed down from God to Moses and from, through Moses to the people. So it had glory because of the one from whom it came. But because of those to whom it came, it was a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation because they couldn't keep it. Any more than I could keep it. And so the glory that was associated with that old covenant was passing away. And that was symbolised in the glory of Moses' face, the shining of his face as he came out from speaking face to face with God. As a man speaks with his friend and he came out from his privacy with God, his face aglow with the glory of God. But it was passing away. It came to an end. But the good news is it came to an end because it was being replaced by something else. A new covenant, which isn't a ministry of death, but a ministry of life, which isn't a ministry of condemnation, but a ministry of righteousness. And the glory of this new covenant isn't passing away, it's eternal. And the glory of the new covenant isn't receding like it did in Moses' face, but is going from strength, to strength from one degree of glory to another, and you say, Well, how is that the case? How is it that this the glory of this new covenant grows? Where does it grow? Hasn't it been handed down to us through the work of Christ, through the coming of the Spirit? Hasn't it been accomplished? This new covenant has been entered into. How is it, is it not just a done deal? It's done, it's that it is what it is. How is it that the glory of this covenant grows? Well, the growth of this glory, the development of this glory, from one degree of glory to another, takes place in you. And it takes place in me. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We all, with unveiled face, in my version it says, beholding the glory of the Lord. That's a, I'm not clear how this ought to be translated. Maybe you've got a better idea than me. But it seems to me, and big caveat, no Greek scholar, just going by the books on the shelf. But it seems to me that this word that in my Bible is translated beholding, you might have reflecting the glory of the Lord. And you might have reference to a mirror in your Bible. But it seems to me at least that the, it's simply the verb of the noun mirror, so it's the idea is that this um, we all with unveiled face are mirroring the glory of the Lord. Now that could be that it's beholding, like you look at yourself in a mirror. That's how my Bible translators have gone with it. It could be that it's reflective because that's what happens when you look in a mirror. There's a reflection. So I thought, well, I need to get the right answer on this. So I'll have a look in John Miller's notes. And I found that John Miller had identified a fence and gone and sat on it because he said, um, he said, why can't it mean both? And actually, I think that's not a bad solution to come to. Why can't it mean both? Because the way in which the Holy Spirit develops this glory in your life and in mine is that he directs our gaze to the person of Christ. He's he's drawing our gaze to the Son of God to behold him, to have our vision, to have our our, um, horizons taken up with Christ. And the outcome of that, if my vision is taken up with the person of Christ, the outcome of that is the Spirit working in my heart. To transform me into the same image. That as I, we were thinking in John 14, the world cannot receive him because the world doesn't know him and doesn't see him. The work of the spirit in you and I is to enable us to see him. And by gazing upon him, what we find is that the spirit of glory working within us begins to make us look like him, be like him. So that he's not only transforming us from what we were into something else. He's conforming us from what we were into the image of Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. And that's a work which draws us in this process of Christian living from one degree of glory to another. Now you come back to 1 Peter chapter 4, just to close. Where he uses this title... The spirit of glory. That if, he says, don't be surprised if the fiery trial has come on you. If you're suffering persecution, if you're being insulted for the sake of the name. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The world sees no no glory in suffering. Those who suffer in this world are given no glory by this world. It's not a glorious thing to suffer. Still less to suffer for something that the world considers folly. But here are these believers suffering for the sake of the name, faithfully uh, holding true, holding fast to the one who suffered for them. And the response of the triune God is that the spirit of glory comes to rest upon them. He spoke, the Lord spoke about the paraclete, the one who's drawn alongside in in our lives. As we walk through life, the paraclete comes, the helper comes, one who's called alongside to help, to counsel, to guide, to encourage, to comfort. And here he is conducting that work towards those who are suffering for the sake of the name. Suffering for him who suffered for them. And the spirit of glory and of God comes in a very special way, it seems to me, and rests upon them, to support them, to sustain them, to be with them in their suffering. That by that spirit who works glory within us, we in suffering might learn and apprehend and take to ourselves the wonderful promise which Paul put for us, to us in Romans Uh, In 2 Corinthians 4, when he spoke of this light, momentary affliction, which is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The spirit of glory in his humility, taking the things of Christ, taking your vision, directing it to Christ, revealing the things of Christ to you, that you and I might be conformed to his glory, from one degree of glory to another, and if it should be that that leads us into suffering for the sake of his name, then he doesn't leave us to suffer alone, but the spirit of glory rests on us because he's taking us to glory. He's he's forming glory in us. He's telling us of the glory of Christ and he's taking us to glory, to the glory which we'll see when we're with him who suffered for us.